This is The Guardian. Today, as the US votes in its midterm elections, have Democrats talked enough about the issue that worries voters most? For midterm elections, when Americans vote on hundreds of political offices from the House to the Senate to state governors and more, are typically a bad night for the one office that's never on the ballot, the presidency. The party in charge of the White House rarely does well. But Joe Biden and the Democrats came into this year thinking maybe they could buck the trend. Biden kind of got off to a really good start. He rolled out a vaccination program, started to look past the pandemic, the economy began to recover, businesses were open, people were feeling pretty good, and he had pretty good reviews about 100 days into his presidency. During a summer of political earthquakes, with people's most basic and most important rights coming under threat, the Democrats started to grow in confidence, believing this election's decisive issue would be different than in the past. The United States Supreme Court took a constitutional right that was recognized, took it from the women of America. Make no mistake, democracy is in the ballot for all of us. So I think unlike in past elections, this this has huge implications for American life and our democratic institutions. And it does feel like it's bigger than just a referendum on Joe Biden. But today, as Americans go to the polls, some Democrats are wondering if that strategy was a mistake, one they're about to be punished for. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, Joe Biden says democracy is on the ballot in today's elections. But will voters agree? Lauren Gambino, you cover politics for Guardian US, and over many years and many election defeats, Democrats have learned a lot about the issue that voters care about more than anything else, a lesson that they've distilled into one very famous slogan. Tell me about that lesson. I guess you're talking about Bill Clinton's famous, it's the economy stupid. Uh, And that's the slogan that he went into his 1992 to campaign embracing, and it's how he made George H.W. Bush a one-term president because he focused on the economy and he made the incumbent president look like he was a bit out of touch with the economic pain that Americans were feeling. And it's been a lesson that Democrats have learned the hard way, I would say. In recent cycles, there's been a lot of criticism of the party saying that They have focused too much on social and cultural issues at the expense of pocketbook issues that voters don't exactly know what their economic agenda is and they don't know what they stand for. And so, you know, this mantra gets brought up time and again as a reminder to both parties, but to Democrats especially, focus on the issue that voters tend to vote on, and that's typically the economy. Yeah, the economy is stupid. So coming into this year, how was President Biden framing the Democrats' message on that issue, the economy? 
Well, I think the best place to look is back at Biden's first State of the Union speech. In fact, our economy created over 6.5 million new jobs just last year. More jobs in one year than ever before in the history of the United States of America. The economy grew at a rate of 5.7 last year, the strongest growth rate in 40 years. At the time, he was able to point to strong growth figures and low unemployment rates, but the economy was still very much in recovery mode. People were still hurting from the damage done by COVID, and there was still a lot of uncertainty as to how the economy would recover. We did start to see inflation begin to creep up. It wasn't in the headlines like it is now, but uh, there were worrying signs on the horizon Nevertheless, the administration decided to stick with this very positive, rosy forecast of a historic economic recovery in the wake of COVID, and they took full credit for that. So on this night, on our 245th year as a nation, I've come to report on the state of the nation, the state of the union. And my report is this. The state of the union is strong because you, the American people, are strong. We are stronger today. We are stronger today than we were a year ago. All right. So if the Democrats had a reasonably good economic message to sell and they were selling it, what were the Republicans doing in response? What was their message? So the Republicans began to seize on this issue of inflation and they began to blame it on Democrats' policies. We're now one year into his presidency and instead of moving America forward, It feels like President Biden and his party have sent us back in time to the late 70s and early 80s, when runaway inflation was hammering families, a violent crime wave was crashing our cities, and the Soviet army was trying to redraw the world map. So Joe Biden came into office, and the first thing he and the new Democratic majority did was pass a really big COVID relief package. The House of Representatives has passed President Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. The American Rescue Plan includes money for vaccine distribution, schools, and rental assistance, along with an additional $400 in weekly unemployment benefits. It's credited with having the child poverty rate in America, which is almost unthinkable. It did a lot of good. But economists began to say, oh, maybe it wasn't targeted enough and maybe it's beginning to worsen inflation. The administration kind of put their hands up and said, inflation's transitory. They kind of argued that this would go away. It's just an effect of this sort of once-in-a-lifetime pandemic Republicans continued to hammer away at the inflation. We have the highest inflation rate in 40 years, causing prices to surge. That increase you see there all happened under President Biden's watch. And they specifically tied it to all of these liberal Democratic policies. They said that the Democrats' economic agenda, this infusion of cash into our economy was worsening inflation and that the Democrats were being very reckless with your money. On top of that, Republicans were able to argue that the White House was out of touch with the economic pain Americans were feeling. Unfortunately, everybody in the U.S., you feel inflation. You feel it at the grocery store. You feel it at the gas pump. You feel it everywhere. And so there was this case to be made by Republicans that the White House didn't understand your economic pain. And that is what they used to hammer Joe Biden and 
we subsequently uh, saw his, his approval ratings starting to fall. It sounds like both parties were basically positioning themselves to fight an election based on the economy. But as we got further into 2022 and closer to the midterm elections, what did we begin to see happen? So two big things happened. I'd say the biggest and the most consequential was a Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Thank you for joining us on this Friday night on a day that changed America. We're outside the Supreme Court after the landmark decision that overturned Roe versus Wade and ended a woman's constitutional right to an abortion. As you can see- The actual impact of the ruling completely shocked Americans. It was an earthquake politically. And you immediately begin to see the impact of this ruling on campaigns, on the election, on polling, on voter registration. Okay, so that was the overturning of Roe v. Wade. What else happened? All summer, the January 6th committee was holding these sort of blockbuster TV hearings on their findings from their year-long investigation into the January 6th assault on the U.S. Capitol. There were officers on the ground They were bleeding. They were throwing up. I was slipping in people's blood. And it was just this really dark, grim reminder of that day and all of these dark forces that Donald Trump helped unleash uh, that led to this horrific attack. And so those weekly reminders did not help Republicans. So we saw the overturning of the national right to an abortion And those January 6th hearings, both of them historically important events, both of which we covered on Today in Focus extensively, what did they do to the way that both parties were talking to voters? Suddenly, Democrats recognised the possibility that they might be able to motivate their voters around these issues. Women especially were angry. Uh, We saw women register to vote at record numbers. And so Democrats thought, we have this real chance here. I mean, these are sort of unprecedented events. Maybe we can defy history and keep control of Congress. And so they begin to run ads. Republicans are celebrating ending a woman's right to choose. This is a moment for incredible celebration. What a great victory. And they're not done yet. Mike Pence wants to ban abortion in every state. Mitch McConnell says a national abortion ban is possible. 50 years of women's rights stripped away by the few. They specifically highlight Republicans' most extreme rhetoric. So Republicans who have said that they don't want any exceptions to abortion bans, meaning no exceptions for rape, incest, or the life of the mother. Um, These are really unpopular, even with very conservative women. And you started to see that reflected in the polls. But we'll start with Roe v. Wade in a potential sign that Roe v. Wade, the debate, is firing up Democratic voters. A new NPR Marist poll finds that 47 percent of registered voters now say they will support the Democratic candidate in this year's midterm elections, compared to 42 percent who say they'll back the Republican candidate. And Democrats' goal this whole time was to tie it to a message of Republican extremism, that Republicans are out of step with the mainstream um, and that they are far too extreme. Interesting. Do we have any sense of how that shift 
away from talking about the economy and towards talking about abortion and threats to democracy was actually playing out on the ground, the impact it was having on Democrats' fortunes. All along, there's been this question of maybe Democrats can keep the Senate because Republicans have nominated some very controversial figures. But there was almost always no thought that they could keep the House. And suddenly, pollsters were saying, I've never seen anything like this. Maybe they can keep the House. Democrats were excited. They started to win special elections. In New York, Democrat Pat Ryan defeated Republican Mark Molinaro in the special election for the state's 19th district. Ryan gained traction campaigning on the issue of abortion rights. His win in Tuesday's primary could provide a roadmap for success for other Democrats ahead of November. There was a key vote in Kansas, which is a a ruby red state, very conservative. And voters there just rejected outright a referendum to try to uh, strip away protections for abortion. And so there was this real sense that this isn't just an issue motivating Democrats. It's an issue motivating Americans across the country. You start to see Republicans scrubbing their campaign websites about any reference to abortion. Yeah, it really put Republicans on the defensive. So, Lauren, by August, the Democrats are leading in the polls, and it seems like their decision to focus on abortion rights and the threat to democracy is really paying off. But that was three months ago, and Democrats don't look so confident anymore. What's changed? So I'd say Democrats are riding this incredible high all through the summer, and then they get to sort of, I'd say, early September, and suddenly they feel like they've hit a wall This morning, new concerns about gas prices spiking once again. OPEC Plus, a group of oil-producing nations led by Russia and Saudi Arabia, is cutting production by 2 million barrels per day to boost prices. Gas prices are starting to tick up, and you're noticing that gas prices almost directly impact how voters view the direction of the country. And so you're starting to see pessimism rise, Biden's approval is beginning to go down, you know, the price of milk, the price of bread, you know, how much you're paying for your rent, all of these things are not coming down. In fact, they're, you know, in some cases getting more expensive. And so the economy just rears its head and voters are suddenly very, very almost singularly focused on the economy again. Um, you know, abortion is still up there as number two or three concern for voters, but really it's the economy far and away across all demographics, all age groups. And so you see Democrats start to almost panic, you know, trying to scramble to put their economic agenda and their economic message center stage. And that leaves them kind of caught flat footed in a way. And as Democrats realise this, realise that the thing that voters really care about most as we approach the elections is, in fact, the economy, how does that change the way that they campaign? Abortion is still a central message for Democrats in the closing days of the campaign, but they do try to talk a lot more about the economy. You have Democrats like Senator Bernie Sanders, a progressive who demanded the party talk more about the economy. So what we have got to do is, A, of course, deal with the abortion issue. What the Supreme Court did is totally outrageous. Of course, we have to go after Republicans. We're trying to undermine our democracy that people fought and died to preserve. But what we have got to do is take the attack to Republicans on the economy. Don't be on the defensive. But we also have pollsters saying, look, voters are telling us 
they want to hear Democrats' plan for the economy, and we are just not telling them what we plan to do. We're asking for two more years in Congress, and we haven't laid out exactly what we would do with that. There was a lot of pressure. It was sort of all this infighting of what the economic message should be. You know, Democrats actually did a lot in their first two years. Um, They passed this big COVID relief bill, but they also passed a big infrastructure bill. They passed um, something called the Inflation Reduction Act that had a lot of healthcare benefits, lowering the price of prescription drugs. I mean, these are some of the most popular policies in American life, and Democrats weren't really selling them. You know, voters didn't know that that had come into effect. And so it was on Democrats to really try to sell these issues. And that's where you see them start to dispatch Biden all across the country and sell the Democrats' agenda. And Lauren, it wasn't just Joe Biden who was wheeled out to try to sell this message. It was also the Democrats' crowd-pleasing former president, Barack Obama, who has been hitting the campaign trail. What's he been calling for? And Is it just a bit too late for him to make a difference? (laughs) Well, you know, some reviewers say he's better than ever on the campaign trails. So if you're scared, don't put your head under the covers. If you're anxious, don't put your head in the sand. If you're frustrated right now, don't complain, don't tune out. Don't get bamboozled and fall for the okey-doke that nothing that you say matters. I need you to get off your couch and vote. Put down your phone and give TikTok a rest and vote. He is certainly the Democrats' most popular surrogate. He draws huge crowds. He's able to really form an attack on Republicans. He does it in a way that's funny and... Uh, he's able to weave a narrative in a way that a lot of Democrats have just really struggled with. His argument was that Republicans have not offered any sort of an economic agenda. They attack us on the economy, but they haven't told us what they'd do if they were in office. And that is true. Republicans have been extremely coy on what they'd actually do if they uh, win one or both chambers of Congress. I was joking down in Georgia. If there was an asteroid headed towards Earth... It's going to land in in like two weeks. If you went in the Republican caucus and you said, what do you want to do? Well, we need a tax break for the wealthy. That's going to help. I'm I'm only barely exaggerating. That's their only economic policy. The only one. He really has tried to hit Republicans and draw this contrast between Democrats who have been, you know, working tirelessly to pass all these bills and Republicans who just want power to, you know, serve corporate interests. Whether that message has come soon enough, again, we'll find out today. We also saw in these final days, President Biden make what was billed as his last major primetime speech of a long campaign. What did he focus on in that speech last week? He really focused on what he said were the threats to democracy. This institution, this intimidation, this violence against Democrats, Republicans, and nonpartisan officials just doing their jobs are the consequence of lies told for power and profit, lies of conspiracy and malice, lies repeated over and over to generate a cycle of anger, hate, vitriol, and even violence. He asked Americans to 
to ask themselves, is the person I'm voting for, is that person willing to accept the results of a free and fair election? Because all across the country, we have hundreds of Republican candidates running who have denied the results of the 2020 election. It was days after this horrific attack on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi at their home in San Francisco. He was attacked with a hammer by a man who had prescribed to all of these right-wing conspiracy theories. And, and I think there's real concern of the threat of political violence in this country. I think Biden, as the president of the United States, decided this is the speech I have to give. In our bones, we know democracy at risk is at risk. But we also know this. It's within our power, each and every one of us, to preserve our democracy. And I believe we will. We are at risk of having violence in the aftermath of the 2022 election. Maybe it won't help today or tomorrow, but, but maybe history will record it as, as at least an attempt to appeal for, for calm before what we all expect to be a very wild election night. It's interesting that even with an election looming where the economy is the biggest issue, he felt like the thing that he had to use his platform to talk about was democracy and political violence. Meanwhile, in what sometimes seems like a parallel universe, Donald Trump has continued to play a role in these elections on the campaign trail. What are the issues that he's been campaigning on? <laughs> well, Donald Trump usually likes to campaign on Donald Trump. Um, he's focused a lot on himself. The election was rigged and stolen, and now our country is being destroyed. I ran twice. I won twice and did much better the second time than I did the first getting millions more votes in 2020 than I got in 2016, and likewise, getting more votes than any sitting president in the history of our country by far. And now, in order to make our country successful and safe and glorious, I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? Very, very, very probably. He's endorsed candidates who effectively have endorsed him. So the candidates who buy into the stolen election myth. And he goes on the trail with these candidates. But often his speeches are, as you'd expect, long and rambling. Just last week at her request, a radical left lunatic judge named Ngorin. This is a lunatic. This is a guy that hates Trump so much. He actually ran a newspaper about Trump, how much he hates. And he's allowed to make a decision on me. Ngorin. Study the name, watch the name. He's a lunatic. Started a in recent months, uh, he's been caught up in this saga. The FBI raided Mar-a-Lago. They found classified documents that were being stored there. And so that's become a major issue for him. He's talked a lot about this raid and how he's being unjustly persecuted. But all of this is to sort of set him up for a potential 2024 run. At all these events, he definitely teases political comeback and uh, suggest that he should be the Republican nominee in two years. Coming up, what both sides would consider a win from Tuesday's elections and how soon we might know the results. Lauren, it sounds like from what you've been telling me, we had 
two very different campaigns going head-to-head in these elections. For the Democrats, they started out focused on the economy, but then pivoted to a message about the threats to abortion and the threats to American democracy. Whereas you have a Republican campaign that, for obvious reasons, didn't really want to talk about those issues and instead focused on crime and the economy pretty much the whole way through. As we look ahead to today and what you can see from the polls and all the other caveats we need to build in here, what would a good night for either side look like now? So for Republicans, it's easy. Republicans were anticipated to win back control of the House. It looks like they might pull that off, but they also expect to win the Senate. And so I think a great night for them would be to win both and to have a sizable margin in the House. For Democrats, the picture could look a little different. So Democrats, their big hope is to hold on to the Senate. They currently have a 50-50 Senate, and the majority is that Kamala Harris casts the tie-breaking vote. A good night for them, I think, would be to hold on to the Senate and to limit their losses in the House. Uh, If they can keep Republicans to a pretty narrow majority like Democrats hold now, uh, I think they'd be pretty pleased with that. And what would that mean for Joe Biden's agenda for the remaining time he has in office? Is it going to mean a political stalemate? You can almost guarantee that if Republicans win one or both chambers, there's probably not much hope for legislative achievement. I think he would be very happy to keep the Senate because, God forbid, something happens to a Supreme Court justice, uh, they have to be confirmed by the Senate. And obviously, we've seen how that has played out in the past. But Republican leaders in the House have promised to pursue investigations into Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden. They There have been calls to impeach Joe Biden over any manner of things that Republicans find offensive. And so, you know, we might see the White House suddenly mired in these investigations um, that could take away from the time they spend on a legislative agenda. And then lastly, I would just say the administration is certainly preparing for having to do things by executive action, which, you know, there's no surefire way to do something by executive action. There'll be lots of lawsuits, certainly, but Biden will want to show that he is making progress. And so if he doesn't have either chamber of Congress, he'll likely turn to executive actions. And we're going to see hundreds of races come to a close tonight. Are there any that you're going to be watching particularly closely? Well, I'm from Arizona, so I always keep a close eye on this uh, battleground state. But there, I think you really see a distillation of of what's at stake, um, both for the governor's race and the, the Senate and the Secretary of State. There's some really extreme candidates who have uh, threatened not to honor the results of the election in the future. Pennsylvania, Georgia have really crucial Senate races. Same with Nevada. I think uh, the Senate could be won or lost in Nevada, and Just all across the country, I encourage you to follow all of our Guardian political reporters because uh, they're spread out across the country watching these critical races that will have huge implications for not just Biden and the Democrats' legislative agenda, but possibly for 2024 and the future of democracy in the U.S. Uh, Yeah, and I mean, let's go there. The issue that looms largest over these elections, of course, is what these results could mean for Donald Trump and his prospects of running for president again in just two years' time. So what could it mean? Well, (laughs) I think if Republicans have a good night and Donald Trump's candidates win, and for Republicans to have a good night, some of his candidates will certainly have to win. 
I think he'll take credit for that. Where his candidates lose, he'll either blame them or blame the system. All of this is to say he will use it to build a case for why Republicans should line up behind him in 2024. He might even use it to try to, you know, silence, uh, get in front of some of his potential challengers like the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. He has said he wants to run and it looks like Republicans are at least in for winning one chamber of the House. So, you know, there's a lot he could claim victory for. And I think he hopes that that tonight will set him up for 2024. And when are we going to know the results, whether the Republicans have managed to snatch the House and maybe even the Senate? I think we have to be patient. Um, this is actually what Joe Biden warned in his address. It's, you know, don't let the delays give you any reason for doubt about the security and safety of the election. It will take time. 30 million plus people voted in advance of these elections. And in a lot of states, that you can't start counting those ballots until polls close. So there's just a lot of ballots to get through. It'll take days, maybe even weeks in really close races uh, to get the final result. That's normal. That's what we expect. So we may know the House sooner just because you can tally districts faster, but the Senate we might be waiting for for a few days or even weeks. Lauren, the prospect of waiting weeks is, is truly horrifying, but maybe we'll get a chance to talk to you again about that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. That was Lauren Gambino, a political correspondent with Guardian US, whose coverage you can follow at theguardian.com. Before we go, look out tomorrow for a special episode of Politics Weekly US, reporting from the US, with host Jonathan Friedland out there to cover the results of today's polls as they come in and to explain what it all might mean for the future. To find it, search for Politics Weekly US wherever you listen to Today in Focus. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Natalie Ktena. Sound design was by Axel Kakutier. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.